And today we're looking at this intro, the uh, compelling uh, invitation. Now I always struggle with my glasses with masks. I'm always looking through a fog. Um, the joys, I, I thought with all modern technology they would come up with something, <laughs> which I haven't found yet. Um, so excuse me for a moment, now I can see a little bit better. And, and so we're in this journey of grace, and it was interesting listening to the adult Sunday school class. I think you'll see some of these things fit with what was discussed this morning. Um, but I was thinking today of Corey Ten Boom as I was thinking of this whole discussion about the journey of grace and um, discipleship. And, and thinking of someone who I've read and admired and saw her example. And Corey Ten Boom was born in 1892. And her faith and her brave action during the Second World War, and later her teaching, her writings, have inspired me. Uh, growing up in, near Amsterdam in the Netherlands, Corrie was part of a well-respected Christian family. From a young age, she gave her time and her energy to help others, and especially children with special needs. And after the Nazi invasion in 1940, the Ten Booms, hid an estimate of 800 resistant fighters and Jews in their homes until they could get them to a place of safety. Now you think about that, 800, that's quite a bit, in their home. But in February 1944, the Ten Booms were betrayed. And the family was arrested, but Corey was able to protect the Jews and resistant fighters in their home by hiding them in a secret space in her bedroom. That's that picture where she's bent down. That was her bedroom and the space that she was able to hide them. Later, during her imprisonment, Corey was first placed in solitary confinement. She was then interrogated. We can't even imagine what that would mean today. She and her sister Betsy were put in a Dutch concentration camp and later they were moved to a German concentration camp for women. Even in the harsh conditions, uh, Corey and Betsy led every night a Bible study and prayer meeting and with a little smuggled Bible that they somehow somebody got in. I remember reading about the fact that they praised God for the fleas because the fact that they had fleas and lice uh, meant that they wouldn't enter into their room, if you want to call it that, and because of that, they could pray and worship and read God's word freely. Though Betsy died in the concentration camp, a miracle happened when Corey was released by what may have been clerical error. So she was the only one left of her family, saving her life and allowing her to go on in her life to tell her story, to tell of God's grace, and to help others, and she was a great teacher, writer, and speaker. Corey Ten Boom and others, as we think in our own lives, there have been people that have been examples of God's grace, that have been gracious, that have been Christians that we would want to model in our own lifestyle. So one of the things we need to do is, what is grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. That might be something that over the weeks hopefully we'll remember, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. That is grace. Some people say it's God's unmerited favor. It's God's undeserved love. It's the favor given to someone and they don't deserve it. They actually deserve the opposite. They deserve punishment, but they receive forgiveness. That's grace. 
God's no-strings-attached goodness. Now, we say in the church, and rightfully so, that God's grace is what? Free. It's free. I like what somebody said. It's free of charge, and it's a good thing it is, because none of us could pay for it. God does for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why grace is unmerited, undeserved, and of course, you know that word that's been used often around the church. It is a gift. Grace is a gift, right? And so we see that often. Now here's this statement. If you can wrap your mind around this, over the weeks to come, you probably will get it. Pastor Mike started already at the beginning of the service. Justice is getting what you deserve. That's justice. That's what our whole judicial system is about. People getting... That's why you want a fair judicial system. People getting what? What they deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve, right? You deserve punishment, and you are able to walk away. That's God's mercy, right? God's grace is, I'm a person who is a sinner, who has failed, who is terrible, who has no rights to anything, and yet God has bestowed on me the call to preach. My friends, that's called grace, because I don't deserve this position, this right, this privilege. That's all God's grace. And so we give God praise today for his grace. I like what David Busick said, our GS in the little book that we told you. Uh, this is a quote from him. Grace is not a mathematical equation that keeps a tally of employee hours, follows proper accounting principles, or rewards the hardest workers. Grace is not about who deserves to be paid. It is about undeserving persons who are given gifts anyway. If this sounds scandalous to your ears, and ludicrous to your common sense, then you are beginning to get the point of grace. Grace is personal, and it is relational. Grace, God, is not just some substance out there. God wants you to experience His grace. And I want to challenge you today, have you experienced it? Grace is personal because it is demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is relational. The first Christians did not preach a program. This is not a program we're entering into as a church. We're tired of systems and programs. This is not a program. This is not a principle or a life force. The early Christians didn't preach that. It was for and because of a person the early Christians preached. A real person who was crucified. A real person who was buried. A real person who was raised from the dead. A real person who was ascended to the right hand of the Father. It is a person that grace is about. And his name is Jesus. That's what we celebrated at Easter. Grace is about God taking on flesh, the incarnation. That's what the early church preached. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, these two holy holidays of the church. That is what we preach is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. So we're on this journey together of grace. We will follow, worship, and serve Jesus Christ together. 
It's not about a system. It's not about a book. It's not about the manual. It's not about a denomination. It is about a person. And his name is Jesus. Grace is free because of Jesus. Grace is not something. Often in the church we talk about grace as a substance, a thing. <laughs> grace is not something. Grace is someone. Mm -hmm. and so this is what we're celebrating as we move forward in these weeks. I think this is what fits into the Sunday School message this morning. Grace is free. It's a free gift. But it costs somebody. It costs Jesus everything. This is not just mercy or justice. This is grace, costly grace. This is why we still love to sing that great hymn of the church, Amazing Grace. Because we realize, yet we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. But it cost him everything. And so in these next weeks, we're going to go deeper and deeper into the understanding of God's Amazing grace. Corey Tenboom, later in life, experienced God's grace and followed Jesus faithfully daily, as she did in the early days in that concentration camp. She didn't go around wearing a label, I'm a Christian. She lived it, and it was a part of her everyday life. We're also called on this journey to follow Jesus, follow the way Jesus is this way. The Christian life is more than just a nice thought. It's more than just a belief. It's more than some intellectual assent. It is an invitation to a journey of discipleship as we follow Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, he was talking more than just some intellectual equation or some transactional agreement. Sometimes we've made faith. I say the prayer, he saves me. It's a transaction. It's not a transaction, people. It's a person. It's a relationship. He was describing, John, this relational way to discipleship and how it happens. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. That's how this happens. That's who he is. I like what somebody said. Uh, we've said it before. That if Jesus is the way, then that would imply what? Man is lost. Man is lost. We're all lost. If Jesus is the truth, what would that say? We're all liars. We're all liars. And if Jesus is the life, then what are we? Dead. Dead. Dead in our sins. Dead in our trespasses. So I want to challenge you today. Do you feel lost? There's times in life when we do, feeling lost. See, you can be sincere and still be lost. You can be sincere that you're at point A and you want to get to point B and you're on A road and you're trying to get somewhere and you can be sincere in that, but you're still lost. See, the Apostle Paul was zealous. The Apostle Paul <laughs> went out and persecuted Christians, and he thought he was doing it for God. But he was on the wrong road. The Apostle Paul, as a godly man as he was, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was as lost as anybody else. Oh, he was sincere, but he was lost. 
because he was on the wrong way. Which way are you traveling? Are you on the right way? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. That's how you know you're on the right road, when you're on his way. And you know, it's interesting, I remember the story of my stepdad and my Aunt Vi, <laughs> and, and my stepdad Keith, um, and, and so Keith was getting a little forgetful in his old age, and bless his heart, and mom was in the kitchen getting everything ready because Aunt Vi was coming from Wichita, Kansas. This was a big event, sister coming. And when those sisters got together, look out. And so mom was getting ready for this, I think almost for a month visit, and she was getting everything. And so she sent Keith off to the airport like he did time and time again. Any of you guys know Toronto Airport? Yeah. And so mom's waiting, and they should have been home. Like they were about 20 minutes, half hour from the airport. 20, you know, like it's not that far, and they didn't come, and they didn't come. The lunch is getting cold. Mom didn't know what had happened. All of a sudden, Ann Vi calls, and she's livid. She's upset. She's angry. Why did you send him to come and get me? And Mom's like, well, what's going on? We're lost, Nina. We're lost. And Mom's like, well, where are you? Is there a road sign? Is there something there? I don't know where the heck we are. We're just lost. Keith has been going around in circles trying to leave the airport for the last hour and we just end up in the same place. And my mom said, well, where are you? She said, we're at a dead end and we're watching planes land. <laughs> I still don't know how my mom got them turned around or in the right direction. But let's say that mom never sent Keith again to pick up a guest at the airport. Why am I bringing that up? Keith was sincere. Keith wanted to go and do something wonderful for his sister-in-law. He had desires to go and pick her up at the airport and bring her back home. He was sincere. His motivations were pure. He was on the wrong road. And that happens to a lot of people today. We're living in a day where people believe that spirituality is important. And as long as I'm on, I got my way, you got your way, we'll all end up there in the morning. You can be sincere, but my friends, you can be on the wrong road. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to say something today, and it isn't popular, but Jesus said he is not a way. He is not an option. He is what? The way. the way. But you want to know something, the truth today? If we were to be honest today, we would all say we've made some pretty wrong turns in life. All of us have. I don't care if you've been raised in the church. <laughs> you've made some wrong turns in your life. Others have made worse turns than, and have ended up in some pretty bad places. But, you know, ultimately we've all made wrong turns. We've all been on the wrong road. Scripture says it this way, we all like sheep have gone astray. That's why Jesus is known as the good shepherd who leads us and guides us. 
I like what a commentator said about these words. He said, I am the way there, and I am the truth that will lead you to the way there, and, and, and I am the life that will give you the power to follow the truth along the way there. Not a set of directions, not a road map, not a set of clues. I am the way. Not a, light, a set of life-organizing principles or philosophical presuppositions. I am the truth. Not an alternative way to live with more optimistic viewpoint. I am the only real life, the singular means to becoming truly human. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Life is a journey. Faith is a journey. Jesus, as we see him in the Gospels, was a man who didn't just stay put and allow everyone to come to him and bow at his feet and worship him and bring gifts. Jesus went out to where people were, and he was journeying out there. And so this is why we say that faith is a journey. It is a journey. Discipleship is a journey of grace, because wherever Jesus is, we go out to follow him. The early disciples followed him from here and there. And so, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the disciples followed what or who? Jesus. They went to where he was. Notice that? We too often have made faith what? Jesus, come follow me today. I'm going here, and i got to go there, and i got to deliver the laundry, and i got to do that, and, 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 and now Jesus, follow me. <laughs> and there, there's a place there. Let, let's be honest. There's a place to invite Jesus into your life and into your day, and you want to bring Jesus with you. But there's something true about this discipleship, this journey of faith, is really we're following him. And it's where he wants to go and where he leads. And that's what we're discussing here, is about this journey of faith. And it started with what? It started with a simple little invitation, where Jesus says in our passage of scripture that Phyllis read for us, there are those disciples of John that are saying to Jesus, where, where are you laying your head? Where are you going, Jesus? And Jesus says to them, come and see. So it starts, all of us, our faith journey starts with an invitation from Jesus. You want evangelism? There's evangelism. Invite people to come and see. No commitments. No, no nail it all down yet. Invite them to come and explore. Invite them to come and investigate. If we really believe as the church of Jesus Christ, we don't need to manipulate people into some experience. Because if he is truly the way, the truth, and the life, it will be clear to people. All we need to do is say, come and see. You're invited. And then what's interesting in our passage, after they're invited to come and explore and they spend the day with Jesus, it moves to a decision. It moves to a place where Jesus says, come and follow me. Follow me, he says, right? And so if Jesus is saying to them, come and follow me, then that is something he says to all of us. It's a decision all of us need to make at one point in our lives. We know in John chapter 1, verse 43, it says that, that's actually after our passage, but it says the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. You can only sit on the sidelines so long. Faith is not a spectator sport. Faith often, like there is that reality, come explore, come investigate, come and see. And for too many, we've made faith like a great stadium that you're watching uh, 
the Hags and the Maple Leaf play hockey on the, well, we can go there. <laughs> you're up in the stadium and you're watching other people play the, the game. If we're not careful, that's all that our faith can be. It can come to a place where we're just spectating and, and we're critiquing and we're investigating. But there comes a point in everyone's life, and Jesus knew it, and we see it all throughout the Gospels, there's one thing to spectate. There's another thing to come and follow. And Jesus calls all of us to that decision. And I pray today, all of you in the sound of my voice, you've made that decision. You may have came to a point where you said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. We see that all throughout the Gospels, that as he went through the other disciples and he called them, he would say to them, what did he say? Follow me. And he kept going, and he'd look over to see if they were behind him following. It's a person's personal choice to choose to follow Jesus. And so we see that it moves from come and see to follow me to you will be. <laughs> Too fast. John 1, 42, and he brought him to Jesus. That's Peter we're talking about. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be Cephas, which means translated Peter. Do you realize that when we begin to follow Jesus, that he wants to do such a transformation in our lives that we're given new names? So much so that that's who I was before Christ, and this is who I am today. There is a something that happens amazingly, and there's this promise of Jesus here. You will be. See, Jesus doesn't just see you today where you are. He sees where you can be. He sees your full potential. And God wants you to live life to the fullest. That's why Jesus said, I am the life. He wants, God wants you to be all that he's created you to be. And so it's life-changing and it's transforming. And this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. He promises him, you will be. It is often said that Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we're at. So true. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to act a certain way. You don't have to put on falsity to be able to walk into a church. Jesus loves you just as you are today. And we used to always say that statement, warts and all. He meets you right where you are. Praise God. That's grace. But he loves you enough, as somebody said, not to leave you there. He wants you to live life to the fullest. You know, Corey Tenboom, it was interesting because she did, really. She was a woman that in her later years, all alone, lost all of her family, had been through such a journey. Uh, her faith had taken her through a difficult journey that afterwards it was amazing that she was actually knighted by the Queen of the Netherlands. And Israel honored her and gave her the title Righteous Among the Nations. It was a title given to people who had helped the Jews during the Second World War. And so here people were honoring her and looking at her. God had taken this simple woman who was hiding people in her home in the midst of a war. And years later, he's exalting her and using her. And she's going around, even in her old age, speaking to people and telling her story and encouraging people. And she was so much a person of God's grace that she was able to even forgive the person who betrayed their family. She was known as a person of forgiveness. And God's grace. You will be. I want you to think today. I don't care what age you are. 
today what that promise can mean for you. You will be. I, I think it's exciting if young people could get that, that you could hear Jesus speaking over your life. I know in my life it was life-changing when God started to speak in my life. And I didn't understand it all, but I knew there was something better for me. But I think if people could grasp that, you will be. That's a promise from Jesus for all of us. And then we see that if all of this happens, we are commissioned to go. Come and go. Jesus says, go and do. Actually, in Matthew 4, 19, the other uh, scriptures we have, well, we won't get into it. Jesus said, okay, come follow me. And what did he say? Now, this is good for our fishers that are going out this Friday. Is it Friday that they're going out? Yeah, we want to pray for you guys and bless you. But Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. You'll be fishers of men, as another version says. See, you can only be with Jesus for so long in his presence that you'll feel challenged to make a decision. And as you're in the presence of Jesus in this journey of discipleship, you begin to realize that God is drawing you into bigger and better things for you. And, and, and it just blows your mind. You're just, you're just amazed what, how God wants to use you. And then there comes a point where you get commissioned. We're all commissioned. It's not just evangelists or pastors or missionaries. We're all commissioned. And so as we receive all this wonderful uh, truth of God's grace, we are now commissioned to go and do. You know, it's interesting because I think often people don't understand the benediction at the end of a service. If you notice, Pastor Mike and I are very adamant to do a call to worship in our service. We believe that there is something biblical, there's something that takes us even into the Old Testament picture when the Israelites would begin to gather around and they would speak scripture as they enter into the outer courts and come in to worship God. And we believe that call to worship is a spiritual act of worship. It's saying, okay, church, I don't know what's been going on in your week this week, but right now, wake up, it's time to concentrate on him. But there's something also that's very powerful in the service. We've been teaching the seniors up in Tignish and, and at the Phillips and even at the manor. Many of them broken in body will try to raise their hand. Because we say as an old Jewish way of benediction and blessing that the priests would bless the people and send them forth. And they would receive the blessing. There's often you'll see Pastor Mike or myself with our hands up. It's a sign to say, I'm here to receive the blessing, Lord. And so when we do the benediction at the end of the service, what we're doing is saying to you, go and do. Here's your commissioning for the week. Here, receive God's blessing. Yes, it's wonderful to receive God's blessing. But now you need to take that blessing and take it out into the world where you live. I can't go where you're going to go this week. I can't do what you're going to be called to do this week, but you can. And so that is that wonderful aspect that God is now sending us forth as ministers of his grace. We've received his grace. Now God wants to work through us and we share his grace to others, all that we will meet. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus invites us into his mission? That his mission becomes our mission. A mission of grace. It starts with come and see. It moves to follow me. He promises you will be. And then we're commissioned to go and 
do. So that's the beginning of our journey today. Are you ready to join me in these weeks ahead as we journey together in this journey of discipleship, a journey of grace? We're going to go deeper in the weeks ahead of examining and looking at God's grace. And maybe today, this is you. Maybe today you're a person, you don't really understand this faith thing. You don't really understand all the excitement you even seen in worship this morning and the hallelujahs and the amen. It's, it's foreign to you. You're standing back and you're saying, I really don't get it. That's okay. We're inviting you to come and see. Maybe that's you today. Maybe I'm challenging you and saying, just explore. Begin to open up your heart and say, God, show me. Show me what's true here. What's this all about? I, I want to understand it greater. Maybe that's you today. Maybe some of you have been on the sidelines spectating for too long, and today is the day that you're hearing Jesus say to you, it's time to make a decision. Are you going to follow me? Today is the day, the valley of decision, we say. For some of you, it's coming to a place realizing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You've been trying to do it on your own, but today is the day where you say, Lord, I receive you speaking life into my life when you say you will be. Maybe it's some of our young people today that need to hear that. Maybe it's some that aren't so young, that has been years and you've forgotten about that, that God is still in the business of doing change and transformation. Maybe for most of us today, it's our commissioning day. It's realizing that we don't just come to worship God and then forget about it till the next week. We've received today in order for us to go and do this week for God's glory. And we would say to God today, I want to be gracious. I don't want to just receive grace. I'm probably known for a lot of different things in the community. <laughs> a lot of us could say that. But I want to be known as a person of grace. A person of God's grace. That people, when they see me, when they hear me, they see Jesus. Man, we would, we would change West Prince for his glory if that was our prayer. I believe that with everything in me. And I know some of you, that's already been your prayer. Worship team is going to come as I share this closing thought. You ever ask for directions? Have you been too proud? We know that's always an issue, isn't it? Have you been too proud to ask for directions? Oh, some of you, most of your life, you live in West Prince, you know every corner, nook and cranny. You don't need to ask for directions. But any of you have traveled, you end up in some strange places. I'm sure in trucking, you've had to ask for directions. Uh, well, Pastor Mike and I, we, we love traveling around Italy. We were going all different kinds of places in Italy, and we'd get lost. <laughs> You know, we like our streets, right? We like that. Well, you get into some of these older towns, and they're just, those streets, there's anything but straight. And they go here, there, and everywhere, and you just get lost. And you can even have a map, and the map helps. Our, our way of traveling is always, he was the driver, and he could drive like an Italian. He, it doesn't look so good when he drives in P.E.I. like an Italian, but <laughs> Pastor Mike can get you anywhere. I've been in those roundabouts. You think the roundabouts are hard? We've been in roundabouts that are five, six lanes. And he can figure it out. I sure wouldn't be able to. But I always had the map, you know. Uh, I try to use the map. Well, even with the map, we'd get lost. 
And you know, it, it was just terrible. And then we would ask the Italians, we would stop and ask for directions. Some little man on the side of the road, a farmer, somebody in the town. And we found out that Italians tell you all the same thing. Go straight. <laughs> oh, you just go straight. And then you'd find out there was a cross in the road or a Y or a turn. And we'd end up at some dead end, lost again, just as lost. Well, I want you to think as we bring this message to a close today, imagine you're on a journey asking for directions, and you are lost. And then somebody says, well, here's a map. Well, that's okay, but maybe you're not so good reading the map, and you're still lost. <laughs> and somebody says, come follow me, I'll show you, and that's really been a great help, and you think, well, for sure now we'll get there, but they went too fast, and you lost sight of them. And guess what? You're still lost. And you ended up at a dead end. I want you to think, though, what would be the best? The best would be somebody would drive up with a nice car, an Alfa Romeo, and they would say to you, hop in. I'll take you there. If that happened, you would be then sure of that you're going to arrive at your destination. In that moment, you would say, this person is my guide. Actually, you could probably say, this person is my way. And they will get you to your destination. You will not miss it. That's exactly what Jesus does for us. Jesus is our way, and he doesn't want you to miss your destination. He doesn't want you to miss your eternal destination. He doesn't want you to miss your divine appointment with God. He doesn't want you to miss your God-given calling. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't just give advice, just give directions. He walks with us in our journey of grace. Indeed, he does not tell us about a way or go that way. He is the way, and we have done nothing to deserve it. That's what we call amazing grace. God's amazing grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Would you stand with us as we sing this great hymn of the church, and then I will pray. I want to challenge you today. If something is spoken to you about you want to investigate and explore this further, I invite you to come. Come stand at the front of the church. If you want to say today, you know what? I'm tired of spectating and I'm going to follow Jesus. Come to the front. We'd love to pray with you. If you're a person today that you're saying, you know, Pastor, uh, it's time that I come and I do, that I take on this role uh, of what God is calling me to do, that as I leave this place week after week, I want to be the aroma of Christ in my community to my family. Maybe some of you today need that know that God is in the transforming business. You see things in your own life you don't like. You want to be changed. Jesus wants to help you today. And he is the one who says to you and gives you this promise, no matter what your age, you will be. I'm going to invite you to respond to the Holy Spirit today, to him, not me, not to anyone else in this church. If you hear him speaking to you today, I invite you to come and stand at the front of the church. That's all we're going to ask you to do. And then I'm going to pray for you after we sing this great hymn of the church. And we sing that little phrase in there, my chains are gone. Oh, I believe God wants to break some chains today.
God bless you as we sing. Thank you.